Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six, four, Welcome to your Tuesday edition of the 643 Podcast with yours truly, Dylan Short, brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Corporation. And today, I am joined by my first guest ever on this show, and it's one that those of you who have been following me around have probably just been counting down the days until I could get him on. It is my former host, the person fully responsible for me having this spot, and a guy that is going to carry this show the way that he carried the Platinum Sombrero, my best friend, Doc Herbert, the new owner of the Platinum Sombrero, as he brought it back, and um, maybe you should be tuned in waiting for the next Platinum Sombrero to drop on Tuesday or Wednesday morning, just throwing that out there, Uh, but Doc, how does it feel to be big time now and have your own show and pretty much you get to be the the sole the sole deciding voice, my friend. Oh man, I, when I did the the episode this past week, generally when I listen to podcasts, which is rare, I will do them one and a half speed. Um, I was driving me crazy with how amped up I was because I hadn't recorded in like four months, so uh, it was really exciting, and you can tell just by how quickly I was talking. So hopefully today, I'm gonna keep it nice and even keel, and I will speak at a regular speed. It's kind of, for those of you that haven't done any recordings or anything like that, it sounds like it's such a, a nothing detail about not speaking at the speed of light. But when you're doing a show solo, it is so hard not to talk a mile a minute. It is, you feel like you constantly have to fill space at all times. And you have to constantly, at least I do, I have to remind myself to slow down at times. And even then, uh, there, there are plenty of episodes, you guys out there listening know, uh, where I will talk like I'm trying to win a drag race. And uh, it was, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, There were, there were some tears when I saw that episode drop. I was not expecting it to hit me quite as badly as it did. Um, But I, I, I was genuinely sad that I wasn't on the show with you. It was, it was cool, by the way, perfect transition uh, from your intro to the first episode. I just want to point that out. That was, that was a supreme, not even just the song you picked, just the edit and how you did it. Phenomenal work. I was, I was so proud of you uh, from, from when we started to where you were so nervous to do edits on your own to where you spent, I think the first time you edited, you spent like three hours on an edit. Um, I did. It's, so. it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Texting me at like 1230 at night, trying to get it set up to go out the next morning. But uh, I thought it was phenomenal work, and I was super proud of you. And I'm glad to see that uh, Braves Country is going to have another podcast to listen to, at least through the end of this season. But well, I'm happy to have you on the show with me here. 
Well, thanks, buddy. And uh, it's it's not a stretch to say literally everything I know about editing and podcasting, I did learn from you. So um, I'm excited. I mean, for anybody who listened to TPS, you know, Dylan and I obviously talked about baseball a lot, and we still do. Uh, it's just like the director's cut behind the curtain type stuff. So I'm very excited to have people hear a conversation that we will have. Yeah, and this is this is going to be my foray into attempting to just basically glom TPS onto 643 and eventually convince you to join me um, into the, the radio world. So uh, hey, I'll probably try it. to do this a little bit more often. Uh, but just to get into the gritty of this, because I don't have an hour to do these shows like we used to have, or for God's sake, the three hours that we used to do when we first started the Platinum Sombrero. Yikes. Um, kudos to those of you. That, that sat through three full hours of shows and, and followed with us the full almost five seasons, full almost five years now that Doc and I have been doing shows. But for this week, it's a really good opportunity for us to talk. One, because, you know, my voice still kind of sucks. Uh, not as bad as it was, but having a second <laughs> voice will be nice for that. But two, because the last show that we did for TPS, we did not have a first baseman, and Doc and I were completely adamant that Freddie was coming back. Now, I know I talked about Freddie a lot on Tuesday. Um, I'm not going to talk about him nearly as much because we're going to talk the Braves and how good the Braves are playing right now and uh, why this year is going to be particularly hilarious for Braves fans and particularly horrible for Mets fans, which I digress. I, I repeat myself because that's always hilarious for Braves fans. But before we do, this saga revolving around Freddie Freeman, first of all, Doc, when you and I were doing TPS, there was no doubt in our minds that Freddie was coming back. You and I had talked about it at length, and I believe I can't remember what show it was. that, that I think I had even mentioned something along the lines of, Alex is going to tell Freddie, go get your best deal, bring it back to me, and I'll price match, especially if it's something where, like, the years, where Freddie was wanting six years, but where... I, I guess from what we can gather, Freddie's agent was worried or knew deep down that Freddie would take a shorter year contract to make sure he came back to Atlanta. And we had that whole saga, and you and I would text about it, but we haven't done a show since then. So I got to ask you, before we dig too deep into the and in, in peeling apart that Freddie wound some more and poking around in there, how what was your reaction? Uh, I know we texted about it, but but just so the listeners can know, what was your reaction to uh, the Braves trading for Matt Olson pretty much out of the blue and then realizing that meant Freddie Freeman was not going to be an Atlanta Brave? I mean, we had kind of heard a, a little bit towards the end there about, you know, maybe he's not going to come back. And we, we both were just like, this. can you believe this? This is nonsense. Of course Freddie's coming back. and And now it's just... When the Olsen thing happened, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks because it's like, here's the official press release and here's all the names. And it's like, you just wait and wait and wait, not just for resolution on Freddie, but like, that's the type of prospect trade we'd been waiting for since this rebuild started, right? So it just was, you just froze and stared at like, is this really real? Like, did they get hacked? So somebody took the time to hack into the Twitter and put together a really official-looking press release here. You know, it was it was just a lot, and and still like the incredulousness and not being able to believe like what happened. Everybody knew this was supposed to happen, and you know the the healing process. You know, the, when then you get the extension, and then it's like, okay, well here we go. No matter what happens with Freddie, he's he's not coming back. Matt Olson's gonna be here by the end of his contract almost as long as Freddie was here. It's not out of the realm of possibility to say that Matt Olson will be a brave longer than Freddie was. So, um, 
it just it really it really caught me off guard and it continues to catch me off guard because what we're discovering in recent days is that it really wasn't supposed to be this way we still don't know how true this doug gottlieb stuff is but man what a saga it just keeps getting worse and worse every time i think that we finally scratched the bottom of what happened and got to the bottom of it there's something else that that comes out and to be honest you got to take anything doug gottlieb says with a grain of salt but that said, it fits. It fits everything that went down. Like from from the time when the Braves traded for Olsen and signed him to that extension essentially right away to Freddie days later signing his deal with the Dodgers and, and just kind of being like just kind of bewildered and, and that big blitz of what happened into Freddie being really upset with Alex and the Braves right after signing that deal into this whole saga leading up to Freddie's return to Atlanta last week, which I don't know if you guys got to any of the games. I was there Friday night for the first game, and it was it was the most emotional I've ever seen a, a, a park. Now, I wasn't at Chipper's Sendaway game. I would imagine that was pretty emotional as well, but I've never seen anything quite like that. I've never seen the, the award ceremony for Freddie. The ovation was incredible, and I said this on Tuesday. I'll say it again here. I'm very proud that 90% of the people in that building were cheering for Freddie as he deserved. I'd said something about how disgusted I would be if Jock Peterson, a guy that was a completely average player for three months with the Braves, got a better ovation than Freddie Freeman. I, I thought the edginess of that is completely stupid and childish and petty. And there were some of those there was there were some of those people. As a matter of fact, there was a couple behind me. You could tell probably hadn't been Braves fans and starting in 2018 or so because they were they were in that whole oh freddie just should have taken less money and come here and blah 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 without realizing that freddie signed a gigantically below market contract to stay with atlanta at the worst time <laughs> that atlanta had seen since the 80s and he decided to stick with it, and there was no reason to boo uh but i was very proud of the atlanta fan base for that but that first at bat for Freddie. And I mean, the ring ceremony was crazy. He was crying the whole time. He was crying the entire time. First of all, that, that pregame ceremony, that pregame press conference, never seen anything like that from a player. Never seen a player that distraught over even just seeing his old media members. Most players hate talking to the media. I'd never seen a player break down like that. And I thought, one, that, that brought the tears to my eyes. But to see the, the ring ceremony and how Snicker had to kind of pat him on the back and tell him, hey, take a breath and relax. It's okay. And then to, to the interview right after that and then to his first at-bat. And I'm sorry, Smoltz can say whatever he wants. I love what John Smoltz did for the Braves, but he's a classic story topper. Everything that happens, he has to have some story that, that outpaces that. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but no, no more Garcia Parra did not get a two-minute standing ovation on his return to Boston. That Freddie ovation was the longest ovation I have ever heard for a player coming back home. And it happened his first at-bat all three games. And then, you know, he'd catch some boo-birds after that first at-bat, and, and he'd talk about it and say, you know, I'm, I, I'm a visiting player now. I can't expect to get cheered all the time. But you looked at him, and it did look like those boos hurt him physically. And you saw the way he was on the bench, and everybody was just saying, you know, you had Kershaw come out, which was a little bit weird come out and say, hey, I know that this was a big deal, but we got a good team too, and we just don't want to feel like we're second fiddle. Sorry, Clayton, you're definitely second fiddle. If you had any doubts about it, him firing his agent as soon as they got out of Atlanta certainly leads to that. And now we get this from Gottlieb where it appears that Casey Close did not tell Freddie at all that he had told Alex, hey, this is a final offer. This is an ultimatum. Take one of these two deals, both of which were reportedly far more 
money than Freddie was actually asking for. And that Casey Close did not tell Freddie about the deal because he knew Freddie would take the five-year 140 offer. I'm sorry, but that is just insane to me. And for those of you out there that think that that doesn't happen, go read up what happened to Chipper on his $90 million extension with the Braves. It is almost exactly the same thing where Chipper's agent at the time, I don't remember his name, but Chipper's agent at the time didn't tell Chipper about the offer. Chipper found out by talking to John Sherholtz, fired that dude and had B.B. Abbott represent him, and he's been representing him ever since. And that's where you got Chipper's story of saying, listen, don't trust these agents. These guys are trying to make the most money for themselves. They're not looking out for you. You can't put a price on your own comfort. And, you know, for, for a guy like Chipper that I wouldn't say is the, the wisest owl uh, in the forest, that, that's some real <laughs> wisdom there from him. That's something that, that players really need to take account of. But it does throw this into a whole other saga because with it being glaringly apparent that Freddie wants no part of being in L.A., you do start to wonder what are the odds he actually sees the end of that contract. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking there's no way this dude sees the end of that LA contract. It's, I think, you know, f- we knew that there was always going to be the, the big emotional component to, to Freddie's return. I, and truthfully, I kind of, if it's interesting to me that it took this long for him to find all of this stuff out. You know what I mean? You'd figure that, that he would have gotten wind of this a while ago, but but you're right. I mean, as soon as he gets wind of it, he fires his agent. You know, we may not have any anything concrete out of Doug Gottlieb, but that seems like a pretty interesting correlation to me. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. Um, You know, I think Freddie seems like the type of guy who is going to, even if it pains him, buckle down and say, okay, you know, circumstances being what they are, I am a Dodger now. And, you know, and the, the first year for guys that change teams, look at, uh, we'll use a divisional example. Look at Lindor or look at Edwin Diaz when they first came to New York. New York is an extreme market, but these guys, it takes a while to, to get used to it. LA is a pretty extreme market too. So, and it's completely different than everything that they, you know, Diaz was playing in Seattle. That's a tiny market. Lindor was playing in Cleveland. It's a tiny market. Atlanta is a bigger market than those, but going to a bigger place, especially the circumstances around Freddie, just what a, what an emotional mess. And he's always been such an emotional guy anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if starting next year, if he if he is much more um, dialed in to the whole thing and he's kind of got those those initial first year jitters out and he's able to I mean, and he's the thing is, he's still performing, even if he's a clubhouse distraction uh, for the Dodgers, which, hey, Braves fan here. Fine with me. You guys want to have some internal. Also, yeah, be my guest. Not something I would have ever imagined saying about Freddie Freeman, but. Now I'm at the point where it's kind of reopened those wounds for me. I've been trying to convince myself to move on. And it's no it's no shame on Matt Olson, who uh, has 31 doubles on the season as he got two doubles last night to push his uh, push his lead even further. And looks like he's kind of starting to come around a little bit as he just continues to blast home runs in Philadelphia. 
Um, but now I've kind of reopened the wounds and saying, hey, all right, bring me Freddy back and let me have Olsen and Freddy. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm really not going to be surprised if Freddy finds a way to force his way back to Atlanta. Like if it now it's very possible that Freddy just needed this for closure, even though he says he doesn't need closure. By the way, that's another point that shows he, he ain't over Atlanta saying I don't want closure that just because you want it doesn't mean you don't get it. Now, it's still it's equally possible that 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 was what he needed to move on. But there's it's also equally possible that he, he goes to the Dodgers He's like, hey, man, um, can you guys please find me a way to get back to Atlanta? Now, nothing to say that the Dodgers have to comply with that. But when you're a top notch team, anything can derail your season. And a guy like Freddie, a guy like Freddie being like, hey, I want no part of this team that speaks volumes, especially now that you start to hear rumors that Trey Turner doesn't like being a Dodger that he hates the West Coast and he wants to come back to the East Coast. He's another guy that's from around this area too. Now, a guy that I personally, and you know this, have longed to see in a Braves uniform. I still don't think, I'm not, I don't think we'll see that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But if Freddie continues to be this way to where it's glaringly apparent that although he'll give his all to the Dodgers, he still wishes he was a Brave, this is a different area for the Dodgers to have to deal with. They're not used to players not wanting to be there. They're not used to players that they trade for or sign in free agency having loyalty to the teams that they left. The Dodgers are like an all-star team. They're used to just picking the best players off of bad teams. They're, they don't really have guys that have the type of years spent in an organization that Freddie had in Atlanta. About the only one they have that I can think of is Clayton Kershaw, which means I was a little bit... Now, it could also just be because I'm feeling defensive of Freddie. I didn't really like Kershaw's comments. I kind of wanted to be like, dude, you had the rumors that you were leaving L.A. after 2020, after you guys literally won a World Series. Imagine how it would have felt for you to go back to L.A. for the first time. I figure if anybody in that clubhouse would know how it feels, it should be Clayton, which might be why he was the one that, that said something. But anything that can tear down the Dodgers from within... It's a good thing. Now, I don't want to continue focusing on Freddie because it's 16 minutes we spent on Freddie, and i got to get your thoughts here on, on the Braves. But from a Braves perspective, everything is going so well for you right now, and it's a very similar story to last year where it was just that, that battle to get over whatever your hump was going to be for 2022. 2021, it was the battle to get over 500. 2022, it was the battle to win three games in a row, which it took them forever to do. But you and I texted about it all the time, just like last year. Once the Braves hit that first real run, there was too much talent on this team to not do it. And now you look up and the Braves, in the span of a month, have completely changed the outlook of not just the National League East, but of, of the National League in general. As now the Braves are sitting there at 44-32, and 32, radically different from where we were a month from now. And when you're looking across the NL landscape, there's no team in baseball that's playing better than the Braves, maybe the Yankees. But no, certainly nobody in the National League. And Mets fans, after that idiot Sal Licata wanted to call the division at that 10.5 game mark about a month ago, boy, things are in Mets country are starting to burn down quickly. You know, and, and you hear a lot of people say, you know, the, it's not the same old Mets. And, and I will say this. That's a good roster, man. That's that's there's some really good players. Like and some of the guys that they went out and they got, they got Starling Marte, they got Mark Canna. These are guys that you and I used to talk about. Like love to have. Like those are like elevated role players. They're starters, but they're like not superstars, but they're like sneaky good. It's easy to to underrate those guys. And the Mets got them, gave Marte too much money, but it's Steve Cohen. He can do that. So and they're doing this kind of getting in a best case scenario for them because they're doing it without Scherzer and DeGrom. Now, a couple things on that. Number one, 
the Mets are only now starting to struggle. It's summer. They made it the first 75 games of the season without struggling, which is interesting. And I, that's part of why I was like, I feel like they're a paper tiger because you were not, we're only seeing the one side and you know, maybe they're able to, to make a, a good run without Scherzer and without DeGrom and now without McGill as well, who's dealing with shoulder stuff. But uh, the step down from having DeGrom and Scherzer as your one-two to having Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco as your one-two, that's a big step down. And so it was inevitable that the the offense was going to slow down a little bit and that the Braves were going to step forward. We were never going to stay buried. We were never going to be a 79-win team while the Mets won 110. The fan is ready for Brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. So now... The things are normalizing, and not to mention we did it without Tyler Matzik, Luke Jackson, uh, without Ronald Acuna for d- different spurts in the season. We don't have Ozzy Albies right now, still waiting on Soroka and Yates. I mean, they can pull the injury card all they want, but we're winning having Ar- Orlando Arcia start at second. And now that Acuna's out, we got Marcelo Zuna starting in left field, and we're still winning games. So when I look at the Freddy situation, not to open that back up, but I think part of the reason why he's so distraught is how well the team is playing right now it took some serious late inning heroics for la to beat us you know what i mean we looked better than them for a lot of that series so and i think freddie knows that too and i think a lot of teams do and now our guys have experience this isn't like wide-eyed max freed you know coming out of the bullpen in 2018 no this is this is world series bulldog max freed coming in with his fifth year of playoff experience and it's going to be the same thing for all these guys we are the team that everybody's going to be like man they have been there the team that we wanted to be four years ago we're finally that team now so no matter who it is i don't care if the braves win the division or not if they get in the playoffs everybody should be petrified because this team is rolling right now and you bring up Scherzer and DeGrom coming back. And and I anytime somebody brings up Scherzer, I always go back to that doesn't worry me in the slightest. If there's one team in baseball or one place in baseball that is not worried about Max Scherzer, it's the NL East. We've seen him for a decade. I mean, <laughs> these hitters have seen him for, for years and years and years. The Braves have done pretty well against him at times. Now, obviously, being one of, if not the best pitcher of the generation, along with the other one on his staff, Jacob DeGrom, and I guess you could throw Clayton Kershaw in there too if you're so inclined, and you probably should be. Uh, The Braves have seen Scherzer a lot. Now, he is still very good, but when you start telling me that a guy who's got, what, 2,000 innings on his arm, uh, all of a sudden he's starting to have shoulder issues and elbow issues and dead arm issues and having to take himself out of a playoff game, I'm not that concerned with him. Yes, the Mets are better with Max Scherzer than they are without him, but that doesn't mean that they're better than the Braves, and I think that's the key point here. The Braves are three games back of the division lead. There's still 15 games to play between the Braves and the Mets. I said this on Twitter today. Braves clinch day is going to be an all-timer on Mets Twitter, and I can't wait to see it because this is going to be the most demoralizing thing for Steve Cohen and the Mets. That Everybody's right. They're not the same Mets. They're not the same traditional Mets all just going to blow it. They are a good team. They just aren't as good as the Braves, and they're – it's not going to be some collapse. 
that loses them that 10 and a half game lead. It's just the fact that the Braves are better. And you can say that it's bad competition, but the Braves just won a homestand against the Giants and the Dodgers. Hard to do better than that. They've already clinched the, the series against Philadelphia and game three will go tonight, which this is probably the, the best case scenario for the Phillies to win a game will be the matchup tonight between Ian Anderson and Aaron Nola, who seems to have rediscovered his form this season. But for the Braves, all they have to do is keep doing what they're doing. And it starts last night with Kyle Wright getting you yet another quality start. Not something you or I would have thought possible before this season. But you look up and down this Braves lineup, and uh, I think it was Kyle that actually mentioned this yesterday, maybe, uh, about the Braves and when they started playing better. Didn't want to say, you know, matter of fact that it's because of this, but he did point out that, take a look, it's, it's when Michael Harris got called up, and it's not, you know... <laughs> Like, you don't want to say that it's all because of him, but if it tracks, it tracks. And you look at Michael Harris, and you look at what he's done, and not just what he's done, but by having him up there has allowed the rest of the Braves to do. You just mentioned that since Acuna's been hurt, um, Marcel's been having to play left field again. But for longest time, the Braves had been able to, to shuck him off to DH, where he still hasn't been performing that great, but you haven't noticed it quite as much because Duvall has all of a sudden started playing well because he's back in left field and he's got his legs underneath him. Now he's back in a corner. He's not having to patrol center field every day. And then you look at Michael Harris and you look at what he's doing as a player. Man, it's at this point, I think if you're talking about the NL Rookie of the Year, I think it's Michael Harris or it's Spencer Strider. And that's, that's the two. That's the one-two for me. Now, yeah, I think they might take some votes away from each other, but if Michael Harris doesn't, it doesn't get attacked by that rookie wall quite as badly as a lot of rookies do, then I think come the end of the year, you're you're more inclined to vote for position players than you are pitchers just because, one, Strider I don't think is going to be in the rotation all year. He'll hit his innings limit soon. I think, he'll get, I think he'll get pushed back to the bullpen, especially if Soroka shows you that he can handle, say, four innings, five innings of work. I think it's very possible that you see Soroka and Strider kind of paired up a little bit to ease the two. Uh, one, to ease Soroka back in. Two, to keep Strider as healthy as possible for a postseason run because he's going to be very, very important to the team's plans in the postseason. You brought up Kirby Yates, which is another really important point, that the Braves are going to get reinforcements. Even though Kinley's on the IL right now, the Braves are going to get Kirby Yates back. Tyler Matzik is now in rehab spots. So the Braves are looking like their best baseball is ahead of them. But I want to look little bit deeper at the at the rookies this year and I still consider William Contreras a rookie now you and I text a lot and you've been saying lately that now is the time that if the league's going to figure out William now is the time and they kind of have figured him out to an extent but it hasn't been as bad as it would have as it's been in years past for him and he's still been able to be effective you see last night he went two for four I still love his swing but you look at Michael Harris and it just every single night he does something. He just continues to help you win games or make a big play somewhere along the way. Last night drove in an RBI as well. Stole his fourth base of the season. Still hitting over 300. I believe at this point he's added, what, 1.6 F4 already in this short amount of time. He's been one of, if not the best defensive center fielder in baseball. The highest success rate added. That's even above Christian Pache, who, oh, by the way, has got a plus seven outs above average this year himself. So if there's one thing the Braves have been able to do lately, it's, it's scout defensive center fielders. But you talk about Michael Harris, and you and I, you and I were both kind of slow on Michael Harris. And that's that's a function I think of we got burned a little bit on Pache. We were never all the way in on Drew Waters, quite frankly, but even so, um I'm I'm still not counting Drew out. I still think Drew can be an exceptional big leaguer and I think he's starting to take some steps forward as well. But it's just not we we wanted to see the the power show up for Michael Harris. 
But one of the things that we weren't counting on, at least I wasn't, was that he would improve his game going to the big leagues. And you start seeing that, and I've said that he's a perfect nine-hole hitter. My real question now is, how much longer before you move him up in the lineup? I kind of wondered if uh, if Ronald uh, hitting himself on the top of the foot and, and being kind of on the shelf for a couple days, I really kind of wondered if that was going to cause him to shake the lineup. Because Harris hitting in front of Acuna, he's getting a lot of really good pitches to hit. And now... Uh, you know, Harris at nine, Dansby hitting at one, same type thing. I mean, Dansby's been hitting like a house on fire for two months now. So um, I kind of figured that if there was a, a, if we were going to see a shakeup, it would be then and you try and hide somebody like uh, Gosselin at nine or, or something like that. Or if you got to get Heredia in uh, to to play left uh, while, uh, so Ozuna consider or, or whatever the case may be. But they they have stuck with it, you know, and it really does kind of give you that length, even if, if from like uh, six, seven, eight, even if you're kind of struggling a little bit with those guys. I mean, Harris gives you somebody to like turn the lineup over. You know, that was the biggest deal at the beginning of the year. The bottom half of the order was doing nothing. So it looked like the top half was doing nothing because they didn't have anybody to drive in. There's a lot of early season struggles based strictly on that. So with Harris, it, there will come the time for him to, like we were saying with Contreras, they're, they're going to start to figure him out a little bit and say, hey, here's the massive hole in his swing. Um, you know, and you did see a little bit of that with Wheeler the other night. Not like Zach Wheeler is not a really tough customer, but you know, yeah, th- hundred mile an hour sinkers. Turns out they're pretty difficult to hit. Yeah, good good luck with all that. Oh, you've been here a month. You should be able to hit this by now. Um, but yeah, so I, I I am very just I for right now. It's one of those, what if we could make it work better? But it's not broke right now. You know what I mean? So for now, I think that they're just gonna stick with that. And the point you made about him doing something every night, like on that Tuesday night when he cut that ball off in the gap that would have been a double, saved a run. Granted, the Braves won that game 5-3, to three, but they didn't score that fifth run until the ninth inning, right? So it would have been a much more tense, who knows how things would have gone if he hadn't done that. So even if his, if his bat starts to go through a little bit of a slump, if he can keep it like Dansby to where still adding a lot of defensive value while maybe you're figuring something out and you get three weeks with a 600 OPS or whatever. Harris is so fast that he's going to still give you value while he's on the bases and then while he's still out in the field. Have you seen what he can do? You said a while back that it's like the universe is giving us another shot at Jason Hayward. It's kind of like it's given us another shot at Christian Pache as well because defensively, Harris is doing things that I just can't believe. I cannot believe... Like, no one. No, no one. one thought this. Yeah. And if you said that you did, you're either lying or you weren't really somebody that you should take a defensive take. Because when you start... When multiple people, including the man himself, say that, hey, Christian Pache is the next Andrew Jones, that kind of overshadows the defense of everybody else. But Michael Harris has been exactly that in the outfield as well. It's been... <laughs> he's actually a 1.4 F4, I should say. A 137 WRC plus and 114 plate appearances... And he's still not walking, which is something that he will get better at doing as he continues to go about. Now, plenty of luck involved. His Wab is 371 to his ex-Wab of 318. So you can expect a little bit of regression. But good Lord, man, it's been it's been a totally different team. And it does bring up some interesting question marks as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Because now that you've got Harris up here, you know he's staying. They didn't, you and I were adamant that they weren't bringing him up here to, to sit. He was up here to stay. He was not going to be up here for a couple weeks and go back down. He's here for the long haul. That does kind of mean, 
what positions are you really looking for? Alex has mentioned a left-handed bat. Now, I've taken that in two ways. It could mean Eddie Rosario, who um, had a multi-hit game last night for Gwinnett, and I would I would imagine you'll see him up recalled fairly soon, fairly quickly. His timing looks to be back. Maybe that's the left-handed bat. Or maybe Alex means a left-handed bat in addition to that. But you you said in your solo shot on TPS that you think that it's starting pitching that Alex needs to look at. I don't disagree with you there. I actually think starting or relieving, I think pitching is something he'll look to, to upgrade somewhere along the way. But it does kind of bring this question of where exactly are the Braves going to look to upgrade as far as position players? I don't. I look around and I don't see many places. You know, I, I, I don't either. I keep coming back to Whit Merrifield just because I think that he's, uh, we need like a, a true utility guy that you can really plug in everywhere. And especially somebody that could... Um, kind of fill in for Arcia right now because Orlando seems to kind of have that Charlie Culberson thing where he functions much better as a bench option and just being like, Orlando, grab a bat. We need you to go do something instead of being like an everyday option. Um, but what I wouldn't hate seeing, and, and I don't have a specific name for this. It's just a general category. I still don't know what's going to happen with Dansby this year. We both hope that he paid a lot of attention to this whole Freddy saga, got the same agent, who, and he just recently said, I have no intentions of of going away from my agent, but that's before this this whole Doug Gottlieb uh, blatant dishonesty thing may or may not have happened. So we'll see what happens there. But what I would be interested in seeing the Braves do is get somebody who is a natural shortstop who can come in, play second for the rest of this year, be a utility guy, and then if Dansby leaves, you can plug him in for shortstop next year. I don't know, like I, I've been said a lot, I think Vaughn Grissom is a humongous prospect. He's now, you know, Harrison Strider, as soon as they exhaust their rookie eligibility, then the Grissom is the number one in the system for me. But I don't think he's quite on that Michael Harris track. I don't think that he's somebody you can really count on to come up halfway through 2023 and just turn the team around, which is not a detriment to him. The kid is 21, you know. So I think that the you know, this is Alex, and he he's playing 4D chess all the time. So I think that, that that's something that he might kind of have his eye on is, is kind of looking forward to next year too, um, or at least getting somebody who might be on an expiring contract that he would be able to lock in for short next year, similar to how he did Eddie Rosario uh, this year. Because Eddie was a free agent in the offseason and then re-signed for 2-18. and 18. But he's, he is starting to get his timing back in Gwinnett. Um, the bats, I, I think, I think you are stacked enough to where you know. I certainly would not be mad if they if they were to add, and you know, you're going to get Ozzy back and partner. That's just like uh, making a huge trade. You don't even have to give anybody up. <laughs> but uh, you know, pitching, I, I am not convinced Soroka is going to be anything when he comes back. That's not against Mike. That's just just the law of injuries and. I, a lot of people got mad at me when I said Ian Anderson is a new Julio Tehran, but where's the lie? I mean, I mean he is. He I, is Julio Tehran. You saw what people did to me this offseason when I said if you wanted to get uh, Brian Reynolds, be prepared to give up Ian Anderson and that I would do it. Um, well, yeah. at this point, I think you and I, can, you and I have kind of had the same thought on Ian for a while, where we thought one of the things that was awesome about Ian was that he had the floor of a major league pitcher. One of the detriments to Ian was that he did not have the arm talent of a lot of the other arms in the system. So it kind of caps his ceiling. And I've mentioned this to you through text. I don't know if we've talked about this. One of the things that makes it more difficult for Ian is that all of his pitches move in the same manner. They're just vertical. There's no horizontal movement with his pitches. So you're really just sitting between fastball and changeups about 
six to seven mile an hour difference. Change up to curveballs, about six or seven miles an hour worth of difference. So all you're really looking at is how fast does it look like it's coming out of his hand. If it, if it looks like it's the fastball, then it's either fastball or changeup. So you got a 50% shot there. If it if it looks like the changeup, then it's then it could be any of the three pitches. But you're only having to guess location. You know you already know how the ball is going to break. It makes it more difficult, particularly that third time through the order, which is what we're going to have to what what Snicker's going to have to kind of come to terms with at some point is that he, I don't care how good his first time through the order, the first two times through the order have looked. You can't have him throw into the, to an, uh, an order the third time through. It's it's just been shown he's getting wrecked his third time through the order because hitters have seen his pitches and now they know exactly what they're looking for all the way through uh that doesn't mean that ian is a bad pitcher doesn't mean that he's not a perfectly good four or five we've seen him have those outings where he can go seven innings and strike out 12 batters we haven't seen them quite as often as we did you know 2020 where it looked like he was going to be a top of the rotation super stud but i think this is the part where we're getting spoiled a little bit where it's okay to have those guys. And when you say he's Julio Tehran, that's not a bad thing. It's, right, right, it's right, right. It's bad yeah. if Julio is the best pitcher on your staff. But if he is the worst of your starting pitchers, that's not a bad thing. And so and so you start looking at, you know, you've got Freed. He's been a great number one. Wright has been, uh, the last couple times it was just little bloopers and bad babbit luck he hasn't looked as sharp but he hasn't looked bad by any means he looked great against philadelphia last night outside of the second inning charlie i would still start charlie as a number three in a playoff series just based on on history but for me you know when you go into the playoffs you need three maybe four good starters and 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 it's entirely possible that i will be forced to eat crow in the second half of the season and believe me i would love to because i i think that somebody like, I mean, Luis Castillo is going to cost a lot, but somebody like Tyler Malley, you know, somebody who can slide in as a four, you don't need to get another, another number one or another number two. I mean, you could, I would certainly not be upset about that, but like this team, much like 2021, very well architected to make a deep run. You've got some really good starters you can put up there. You've got some great bullpen weapons like Strider. If Matzik comes back, then these are like multi-inning guys. You've seen Minter go multiple innings in the playoffs, and he's ridiculous. The offense is going to hit. I mean, it's it's really not that far out of the realm of possibility for the Braves to repeat. I mean, the biggest thing that they have going against them is the fact that it's just really hard to repeat. You know what I mean? There hasn't been a repeat champion in 22 years. So getting another starting pitcher, which would then it's, Oh no, we have too many pitchers. What are we going to do? Well, if Ian Anderson has to pitch out of the bullpen in the playoffs and he's a good three, four inning weapon, you let him go through the order twice. He's fine. But the OPS is like 1200 when he goes through the third time in the order. I mean, that's that doesn't pass the eye test or the analytics test. So just a little bit reinforcements. I, I said on TPS last week, I want to get Dodger level depth where you're cutting like really good players off of the roster when it comes comes time to make the playoffs because there's just not room for everybody. And I was looking at the the bullpen last night thinking, what's the pecking order here? Who's getting knocked off the list when Kenley comes back and Matzik comes back and then if we get somebody at the deadline? So... You get too far down there, I mean, you're knocking off really solid options like Dylan Lee. And say what you want about Jesse Chavez, the dude has been unbelievable this year. So I think you just go into the trade deadline saying, we're going to get some really good players. We'll figure it out later. I think if you're talking about starting pitching, one guy that I would really circle is Paul Blackburn from Oakland. I think everybody's going to be going for Frankie Montas. And I think 
Paul Blackburn is the type of guy, the type of pitcher that Alex would think would be one pretty easy to acquire. Two, not gonna not gonna bother you too badly if your young guys just take over his spot in the coming years, and you could probably flip him for something else. And three, a guy that would work well with the infield defense of the Braves, a guy that gets a lot of ground balls. Uh, that plays to the defense's strength. I think that Paul Blackburn's a guy that Alex would look at. I think if you're talking starting pitching, that's one. I think if you're talking about relievers and left-handed bat, I still maintain Michael Fulmer and um, Austin Meadows would be a, a very sneaky trade for Alex Anthopoulos. Alex likes working with the Tigers, and he likes finding guys who haven't been performing but whose underlying numbers point to them should be performing. And when you look at Austin Meadows, it's been a bad season for him particularly a guy like Austin Meadows, who's a big, powerful guy. And I don't think he's hit a home run yet this year. Um, His ISO is under 100. It's like 0.071. It's pretty bad. Um, But you you dig a little bit deeper, and you see that he's had maybe more bad luck than anybody else in baseball. His ex-Waba and his Waba are off by 85 points. And uh, he, he actually is trending towards having the be- the second best slugging of his career. Now, part of that is because he, he's hitting more balls on the ground, um, which is also a factor of the fact that Detroit just has an awful lineup. So anybody, like you can look at Javi Baez, kind of the same thing. Horrible lineup, so you're not getting many things to hit. It's no different than Juan Soto in Washington right now. Juan Soto's hitting under 230. It's not something that somebody, even though we don't use average, that is one of those outliers. You go, whoa, that's a little bit weird, but it makes sense. If you don't have anybody behind you, why would I pitch to you? Um, so I, I think that that's something to look out for there. But just to kind of close off, I don't think it matters. Honestly, I think the Braves could not make a single move at the deadline. And I'm not going to paraphrase the chip carry thing and say, oh, it's like making a trade without making a trade. But you are talking about getting uh, Ronald Acuna. You'll get Ozzy back in August, even if he's not all the way up to par. Um, RC has been very, very good in the meantime, has also been excellent defensively. And actually, I think he's made quite a few plays that Ozzy would not make uh, in the same situation. Uh, Austin's going to get percent agreed. Austin's going to get hot again at some point. Um, Matt Olson's now getting hot. Eddie Rosario is going to come back up in worst case scenario. He's splitting time with Duvall or and Ozuna both. You can kind of the, the real question is going to be, how do you get Contreras enough at bats between DH and catching? Because Travis is hitting the cover off of the ball. The Braves are going to be at this point where we have Dodger-level depth as far as the hitters on the bench, and you're not going to be using Phil Gosselin. Uh, you're not going to be using Mike Ford. You're not going to be, hopefully, eventually, you're not even going to really be needing to use Jesse Chavez or Dylan Lee because you're going to have Kirby Yates and, and Tyler Matzik come back. This is going to be a problem for a number of years. I've said earlier on a couple of other shows that I think we're in the midst of, of the new Braves dynasty, and I think that this dynasty could outpace the one from the 90s. Now, I'm not saying that that means that, that they're going to – I honestly, actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. I think they will win the division pretty much every year that you've got these guys under contract, and I think they will win multiple World Series. And I agree with you. I think that this year they have an excellent chance to repeat. I know they lost the series to the Dodgers, but they looked like the better team for two out of the three games, and, and for probably two-thirds of the innings, they looked like the better team. Um, and they were able to kind of to hit around on Tony Gonsolin a bit, who's been exceptional this year. Uh, I don't really – I mean, Walker Bueller, even when he's not injured, the Braves tend to, to beat up on Walker Bueller a bit. I'm not worried about him. Max went out there and shoved against him, the L.A., again and really put him in their place. At this point, I'm tired of saying Max is the ace of the Braves. Max is just an ace. He's the best left-hander in baseball. Dave Roberts says the same thing. Um, I think the Braves at this point in time, I think that it's time for us to admit right now or at least you know accept that – not only are they just a really good team, that they are one of the most well-constructed rosters top to bottom in baseball, especially once they get healthy. 
and that when they take this division from the Mets, it's not going to be that the Mets fell apart, even though what happened for the Mets earlier was that they were getting buoyed by a lot of BABIP luck and, and some some regression was bound to happen. The Braves are just better. And it's similar to the Padres a couple years ago uh, when the Padres were were doing really, really well in the West, and then all of a sudden they seemingly faltered and the Dodgers just blew past them and took it all over. That's really just a function of the Dodgers being better. And I think that's where we're at with the Braves right now. And it sucks if you're another member of the NL East, but you might as well get used to playing for second place. Yeah, and, and look, when you go through a rebuild, this is exactly what you expect. You look at... You look at how Philly did it, and and Cincinnati too. You know, it's like the, we were all going through rebuilds at the same time. You go back to that 2016 draft, and it was Mickey Moniak going one, and Nick Senzel going two, and Ian Anderson going three. I mean, these were three really bad teams. Philly last year had their first winning season in 11 years, and this was after you know they they went through the the whole rebuild too and since they just didn't know when to trade anybody and then Cincinnati I still don't know what Cincinnati's doing they can, they can't decide whether they're whether they're rebuilding or they're just going to lay down and take it from the NL Central how are you still how are you still behind the pirates um but you know this this is exactly what you want you know you want a sustained run copy talked about uh waves not windows and and even if the way that the kind of where the Braves are set up for the next two or three years might look a little bleak on the farm they've got international guys coming up so this doesn't just I mean they can they're finally reintegrating them into the farm system so guys like Ambioris Tavares Diego Benitez we're going to see them start to raise up prospect lists some of these deep draft project types your AJ Smith Shaver your uh Caden Morton, Makai Backstrom type, Stephen Paulini, those guys, if they're going to hit, you're going to start to see it. Morton is doing really impressive things in, in Augusta for the past month. So it's the team is set up to where it's almost by design that there's going to be like this kind of lag over the next two, three years of really good, solid impact prospects coming up. But a lot of that's going to be because the guys that we worked so hard on develop, drafting, developing, and, and getting integrated into the Braves way are going to be showing up and just, you know, you're going to get Vaughn Grissom and Jared Schuster in this next wave and they're going to step right in and probably not in the same way that Harris and Strider have, but this is a really great organization. It is a great time to be a Braves fan. And we have kind of, how do I want to say this? We have lusted after the way the Dodgers do things for so long because they are an impeccably run organization. And they have been on all fronts, on drafting, scouting, development. Everything that they do is elite. And now the Braves are, I don't want to say neck and neck, but very close. I mean, this is a very, very well-run organization, like you said. So um, it's just a really good time to be around. And, and even if even if the Braves don't repeat or if they don't win two World Series in the next six years, it still goes back to the to the 90s and the, and the early 2000s where it's like, it depends on how you define success. If you're only going with World Series titles, yeah, it seems underwhelming, but when you look at the majority of time to be winning, the season takes up a lot more than the playoffs. So do we want to be winning a World Series? Yeah, but it's also a lot of fun to have a 97-win season. You know, as long as you don't get embarrassed in the playoffs and have the Cardinals score 10 runs in the first inning of a decisive playoff game, you know, then it's, it's, sometimes it's fun to win 97 in a season. And you don't have to win a World Series for it to be a success. 
especially now that we have a World Series. And I think that's going to be what takes us to the close. We're looking at the world, the reigning World Series champions, and now they're playing like they should be the favorites for the World Series for this year. I'm looking forward. Now we'll see if the Yankees hold on. Right now the Yankees look pretty close to unstoppable, but they haven't played the Atlanta Braves yet. So we'll see what happens going forward. But as it is, Braves will go with Game 3 tonight. You'll see Ian Anderson trying to shut down uh, Philly as the Braves look to sweep against their division opponent, put a wrap on June, uh, <laughs> the the best month of June in all of Major League Baseball as they look to take three of three against the Phillies and get ready for a month of July that, by the way, is kind of mid-range as far as the scheduling goes there. Got a lot of, another, a lot of room there to also uh, – take even more games and get themselves right. So uh, thank you, Doc, for joining me. It's been too long since we've had one of these episodes, and I'm very happy that now any of the 680 audience that hasn't heard you has now got to essentially hear TPS in full. Uh, We've come full circle now, finally, to the point where I do have to say adios and um, tune in Saturday morning at 680 The Fan uh, for the 643 show on Saturday. And also on Monday, I will be doing a special 643 episode on Monday, the 4th of July, on 680 The Fan, rolling you into Braves pregame on the 4th of July. So thank you, everybody out there, for listening. And we will be back again. If you don't listen to me on Saturday or Monday, I believe we'll be back Tuesday. I might take Tuesday off depending on how my voice goes, but for sure we'll be here Monday and Thursday. And that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much. And I'll be back again later on the 643 podcast. That's all folks. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.